Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Imprint Companion. This is a show all about Australia's number one brand new Blu-ray boutique label, Imprint Films, part of Via Vision Entertainment. Every batch, my beautiful friend and I, Alexi Toliopoulos, who you can hear here. Say hello, Alexi. Hello, Alexi. We usually gush, unpack, unravel and unwrap all of the special features and the brand new releases in every batch that Imprint Films has brought out since the beginning up and to date now. However, today is a very special episode. Today, it is not just Alexi and I gushing over many films. We're going to focus a special episode one film will be covered one of the brand new releases in fact it is spine label 66 wow sexy 66 very kind of spooky number for the number one fan the only way that this release could have been better is if this person had done a commentary track on it ladies and gentlemen and fans of imprint companion and serious disc agreement please welcome the wonderful prodigious author, screenwriter, film curator at Australia's National Museum, and person who does not like compliments, Maria Lewis, welcome to Imprint Companion. <laughs> Hello, Nick. It's the oh. only intro you need. It's the only intro. The seminal moment from Double Jeopardy. When she tilts her head, she's mm. in that Armani size four, and she looks him <laughs> dead in his fucking lying eyes and goes, hello, Nick. Oh, every time. Every time. You know what, kiddo? I don't think I want you to grow up. Who's going to go sailing with me then? In every love. If you like it, it's yours. If I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a moment. We should do this more often. Go away, just the two of us with nobody else around. Never to be forgotten. Nick bought life insurance policies. Nick wanted to make sure that we'd be okay. There's a big difference between okay and $2 million. The jury may see it as a motive. I didn't kill my husband. Libby Parsons is in prison for a crime she didn't commit. I'd like you to adopt my son. Money won't be a problem. It isn't about money. Thank you. Now, the only way back to her son is to find out what really happened. Hi, Mommy. Hello, sweetie pie. Daddy. Nick? Nick? You ever hear something called double jeopardy? The state says you already killed your husband. They can't convict you of it a second time. That means that when you leave here, you can kill him. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. It makes you feel warm and tingly all over, don't it? Paramount Pictures presents... Who's this? That's somebody I'm looking for. Pretty girl? Oh, yeah, she's very pretty. For a convicted murderer. What are you looking for? A friend I hadn't seen for a couple years. Angie died in the accident. Poor Simon. I've never seen anyone so grief-stricken. Oh, I'm sure. It's over, Libby. You cannot know what it is like to sit in prison and think of nothing else in the world but your son. Did I make the right choice? I didn't have a choice. You ever arrest anybody you thought was innocent, but you can't prove it? She is in New Orleans. She does have a gun. She is looking for you. She believes that I'm her husband, whom she killed. Yes, sir. Hello, Nick. I learned a few things in prison. 
I could shoot you in the middle of Mardi Gras and they can't touch me. Double Jeopardy. Where's my son? Maria, I'm so excited to talk to you about this movie. This version of it, this beautiful new Blu-ray disc, is the first time I've ever seen Double Jeopardy. Which, in part, like, makes me want to throw up. But then at the same time, (laughs) I'm also like, how cool and how exciting Mm -hmm. and what an amazing opportunity to be able to watch what is, for me, like, the penultimate moment for 90s, thrillers you know what I mean like yes I know exactly what you mean yeah like there was that that era of 90s thriller is some of my favorite kind of like it really kicks off with the John Grisham shit and not shit like I love Pelican Brief that score is completely out of pocket and like really needs a rework but Mm -hmm. like that era of (laughs) how dare you on behalf of one of Pakula's guys how dare you (laughs) do the fucking score it's not his fault James Horner I think who's like every time it's so hectic but like it has all those essential elements right female protagonists usually Mm -hmm. need an older supporting character and some kind of injustice or conspiracy that needs to be solved and Ashley Judd was in a bunch of these I mean she was also in Kiss the Girls with Morgan Freeman but they also reteamed a few years after Double Jeopardy for Higher Crimes which is also excellent not as good as Double Jeopardy though Double Jeopardy was that girl and it's so funny because it was like you know, it had a pretty hefty budget, which 70 mil, like that's significant, mm. especially for 99, right? Especially when you think about the movie, like what are the special effects? You just like throw a few cars off a ferry or whatever. So it's mainly like car They salary. could have thrown for $1 million, a hundred cars off that ferry. Mm. Like the cars were also trash cars. Like that's he was driving, a, he was driving a shitty so, like, car. When you think about it, right? The, the reset for that shot that's mm. that's like that's fucking taken you fuck that shot up you've got to reset that we're going again tomorrow yeah. it's like you've and got they had to, blake you forget they had to buy a couple of kandinsky's for this project as well hey absolutely they don't come cheap they don't come cheap <laughs> now before we keep diving i just want to quickly talk about the transfer now this is bruce beresford's transfer you might look at this and say oh is this transfer good i just want to assure you that across every Uh, every version of this film it is an intentionally especially the beginning sunny washed out film so if you watch start watching the beginning it is a 1080p full digital scan like it's a great great new hd transfer however it's it might look like it's washed out until you actually see the turn of the film when the revelations start a turning you actually get to see the really crisp in photography and get to relish in the hd print but if you uh, just when I was starting out, I actually called Maria in the middle of this watch. It's actually so rare for me not to be watching this movie with her. Um, so mm. it was actually a strange experience for me. First time without Maria in like five years to watch Double Jeopardy. <laughs> um, but I remember saying like, I'm like, oh, this is a very, there is a very clear stylistic intent with this movie. And, and, and so that was just something that immediately leapt off the screen at me. And it does also have really quickly before we get back to everything. The making of Double Jeopardy Doco is one of the pure, like, 90s, trashy, ridiculous, dumb voiceover things that you've seen a hundred times on telly. Like, yeah. um, In a world where... <laughs> yeah, all that. In a world. Starring Ashley Judd and gets everyone... Australian director Bruce Beresford made his mission to make this film on $70 million budget. Like, that kind of proper oh. showtime... Love them. From Love driving them. Miss Daisy to driving Miss Crazy off yeah. the ferry. Whoa. Whoa. Oh my God. Prophetic. That was amazing. <laughs> Prophetic. Um, that was amazing. <laughs> but 
So for this movie, in case you haven't seen it, which is kind of crazy, I will just give you the immediate sort of synopsis, which is Ashley Judd's character is married um, to Bruce Greenwood's character. They are together. They're happily living their life. Their children there. They're fundraising. They're kind of... It's like a yuppie wet dream at the beginning of this movie. They go out into a lake and go sailing. They have a really sensational sex scene um, with Ashley Judd's Mm. incredible back featured in it, which I can highly recommend. Um, And then what happens is she wakes... Then she wakes up and it is a crime scene. Mm. Her her husband has disappeared. How often is post-sex? Post-sex. The boat is covered in blood. She uh, finds a murder weapon. It is her husband's blood and he goes missing and she immediately is basically the number one suspect, obviously, and then is eventually incarcerated. While she's in prison calling to find out what's happening with her son, she hears with her former uh, son's nanny and uh, her son that her husband is in fact there and he is alive. It has been an elaborate ruse and she gets coached by one of her fellow inmates that, you know what, you know, it's a great thing in the United States constitution. It is called double jeopardy, which means that you cannot get charged for the same crime twice. So what you can do in any state of this country is leave this prison, go hunt him down and kill him in the street when you find him and the cops cannot touch you. And that motivates her in like, what is, I mean, one of the most radically economical and entertaining pulpy movies, I think that is out there. And from the nineties, like, I'm just shocked, Lex. I'm not sure if this was your experience. I know I've talked to Maria about it before, but like, the economy of every scene is like, what is the minimum amount of information that we need to say and then have our actors convey to keep this thing just moving at a blistering pace? And it just does that from go to woe. Such a fun watch. Yeah, I would agree to that as well. I would say that um, part of the charm of this film, and I do think Bruce Beresford is a great director, but this really impressed me from him because it's so out of what I know Bruce Beresford's comfort zone to be. Like I know him as a a maker of epics and prestige films. I hadn't really seen this side of him to the best of my recollection, at least of like a kind of pulpy, exciting vintage nineties thriller. And I think it's a lot of beautiful visual storytelling as well. Like so much of this story is told visually in that kind of Hitchcockian manner, which adds to like that economical nature of this thriller. And that's what I found so exciting. Yeah. I want to use a word that you use a lot, which I love, which is like grubby. This movie's grubbier Mm. than the stuff that he usually does. And so uh, like you you don't, you don't usually associate him with that. Cause you know, if we're just talking about some of his last films, you've got like ladies in black, Mr. Church, you know, Mao's last dancer, you know, all these Mm. kind of prestige things, but you know, I really, I really dig this grubby little movie that he made kind of in the middle of his resume, which is really, really great. Makes me happy to see a guy like him sink down to a grub's level and muck around in the mud for a little bit. Well, what it is, like, when you say grubby, if the people haven't seen the film, they probably think it's, like, an exploitation movie or schlocky or something like that. But what it, we, I, well, I mean, I'm interpreting what you mean mm. by grubby is that kind of midday movie plot line, yeah. like a betrayed mm. spouse going on a mission, right? Like a very yeah, simple bare bones revenge story. And like David and Doug, the writing duo who did this, also did The Rock, 
um, like from mm-hmm. three years earlier, which is my favorite Michael Bay movie, coincidentally. It's like, but this for me is the, the, the best thing that they've done. But it's like, this is what happens when you have like, a, a, like let's say B grade sort of plot, like in its bare bones, right? Mm-hmm. And then an A grade auteur filmmaker and combine mm-hmm. them together. Like I was watching Sicario. I just watched Sicario three times in a day the oh. other day. Like apparently <laughs> <laughs> a mini B. So, so I was just like, all right, like let's have a breakdown and watch Sicario three times. God, but thank God, are you okay? Days around this time of year. It was, Check it in was on literally you. on Are You Okay Day. I'm like, the answer is no. <laughs> but as I was watching it, I was like trying to think about the reasons why I'm so obsessed with that movie and like obviously Tyler Sheridan I think is a really great mm-hmm. storyteller but for me it feels so much like a like the modern silence of the lambs like Sakara is that in terms of like this female character gets put into this world of man and like kind of over their headness of it all right mm-hmm. but at its bare bones as well that's like a pretty schlocky b-grade story that gets elevated by yeah. Danny Villeneuve's filmmaking and the way that he views the world and the score and the amazing cinematography and blah 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 and there are so many beautiful shots in this like where they're where they're like their yuppie lake house to steal Blake's terminology is oh. like just the way that it's shot is so stunning and then mm. the contrast of that when she's in prison and her mate's like it's just sheer hate power in you girl and I'm like <laughs> yes but when they move out of that and it's like the transition to New Orleans and just the way like the locations that are chosen the way things are shot the mom, oh my God, it's like one of the best bits. Ashley Judd's mom, who just like has like a fucking buried lunchbox full of cash. And she's like, go get them, honey. And There's I'm always like, money yeah! in tomatoes, Maria. There's always money in tomatoes. Straight up. There isn't now, but back then. <laughs> maybe it um, but it's just like it, that we mentioned that 70 mil budget before. And also like when Blake was watching it, you, you called me and you're like, I was really surprised like how little... Tommy Lee Jones is in it. Like he really doesn't mm. come into the film. It's much later, yeah. Yeah, like halfway through. And it is like the definition of supporting role. Like it's not a, like a fugitive scenario where he's like, I don't kill my wife. He's like, I don't care. It's like <laughs> fully Ashley Judd. And then, you know, Bruce and Tommy are like the supporting characters. But that 70 mil budget ended up making like nearly 180 mil. So it's like pretty mm. good returns. But in terms of how it translated as like a cultural moment, it sounds so random, but the like the blockbuster and MTV movie awards nominated this movie for a bunch of shit. And it was like, (laughs) which is so wild because like Bruce Greenwood was nominated for like best male and at MTV and like Tommy Lee Jones. And you're like, okay, well, it's Tommy off the back of Batman and Fugitive and shit. So Mm. he's a movie star. But it's also like, this is such a weird movie for like, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds to be like, yes, gas it up, especially in 1999, which was a really like significant movie year up against the matrix and shit. And they're like, yes, double jeopardy, go, go off. It speaks to like that changing of the guard that we have in this year where it's like, the turn of the millennium we're seeing lots of great movies that are like the next big step for some of the biggest filmmakers of all time but then also we're seeing like the tail end of this 
kind of fantastic pulpy thriller movement that really has a bit of a pinnacle with um, Silence of the Lambs being like the biggest prestige entry in that, but then significant entries like The Fugitive and uh, Seven. like you're saying, the John Grisham movie, Seven, like so Pelican much of that Brave. pulpy thriller um, genre Bone really collect- took off Bone Collector. Oh, Bone Collector. That's one I saw for the first time this year too. Yeah. Like and there's a there's a whole bunch of like genuine auteurs like Jonathan Demi auteur mm. of shit you know taking on Silence of the Lambs where you see when other people come into that world of Hannibal <laughs> the cannibal um, they they don't make like the Brett Ratner Red Dragon like it is it leans so hard into the pulpy mm. stuff where it's like this is really dependent on who's telling the story and how they're able to position it. I think as well, what it kind of leads to is a film like this being such a genuine pulpy entry into that but with having a significant female perspective as well like this really read to me as like the fugitive but make it for the miso to enjoy <laughs> and i think that's like the greatest appeal of this movie is like it has such a strong female perspective but it does not at all soften this movie that a lot of people i feel would come to uh, that preconceived notion that maybe goes soft. This movie goes fucking so hard. It bangs harder than The Fugitive. It bangs harder than freaking half those movies we just listed. No, but it's so funny you say that. It's like his and hers, The Fugitive, and Double Jeopardy's yeah. The Hers. And in The Fugitive, he's like, I didn't kill my wife. And in Double Jeopardy, she's like, I'll fucking kill this guy in the street. Like, I'll <laughs> shoot like, him. I didn't kill husband. him, but I literally am going to now. But you, it's so funny that you make The Fugitive connection, like, because Tommy Lee as well. Mm. But The Fugitive and Double Jeopardy would be on my list of like films that I just watch constantly, like constantly. I probably watch Double Jeopardy about once a month. Like I'm not being facetious. Like I I know every line of dialogue. It was one of the first movies I taped off TV and had on a little VHS tape and I'd drawn like a little knife and texture on the label. (laughs) So you don't just know all the dialogue, you know all the ads that used to play in between. Oh my God. No, I was, I was, I was good. I got all the ads out. So it was like record, stop, record, stop. Full theatrical experience. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, How's that conversion? But it's just like, it just holds up like a motherfucker. Like it, we've just, we're only up past the 20th, the 20th, yeah, 20th anniversary. Does that sound right? How many years are we in? Yeah, 20th anniversary a few years ago. And I had written a post about Double Jeopardy and why it's important and why it's sort of like found this additional life in a world where you could, in a world where you could still make money off DVD sales. And that was still something that was significant and could happen it found this additional life through being a really enjoyable sleepover movie or like a movie that mums watch with their daughters or like sisters watch together. It was like- <laughs> Mums are like, see your dad? Yeah, I'm I'm going to kill him in the street. <laughs> so anyway, if you have a nuclear family, but for a, like for a lot of people, it was just that connective tissue movie. And Ashley yeah. Judd played those types of roles and represented those types of roles so well she has a um i kind of like always talk about keisha castle hughes as having the same quality too where they have a real quantifiable strength at the same Mm. time as having emotional vulnerability and it's really hard to have those two things at the same time because like you have a michelle rodriguez but you don't get to see her vulnerability it's like it's quantifiable strength all the time until maybe something like widows and people like oh shit 
or it's like all vulnerability all the time. But to have that balance where you're believing that this woman will kill this guy, but at the same time, really feeling for her and mm. everything she's going through and the fucking the Angie, the goddamn nanny slash friend who's off with the husband and then gets wow. murdered. And then the son and then the blah, blah, blah. And like you feel her pain. Mm. But at the same time, I'm like, man, I don't know if I have the gumption to do what she did. You yeah. know, like when she's doing one of my favorite bits where she has the weight pressed to her chest and she's doing fucking those like the reverse sit-ups. I don't know if you've ever done those before. They are so hard. <laughs> and the strength that that takes and how that like you mentioned her back before, Blake, in a super creepy little monologue. <laughs> That's you. outstanding. But back. like that's how you get those muscles is by doing the the reverse sit-up. It's fucking crazy. Maria, thank you so much for even suggesting that I may have tried one of those uh, <laughs> one of those sit-ups with the weight pressed against my chest. That means a lot to me, and that's why you're dear and true friends. Well, you know what? Equal opportunity weights are. That's me. They are like, can I just say, they are the like they look sick when you're doing them, and the results are amazing. But the actual process of getting into the because you have to hook like your calves under like a weight to be able like level yourself out. Yeah. It is the most humiliating yeah. and embarrassing weird little like worm wiggle to do a fucking exercise that just because Ashley Judd did it. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> the only time I've ever done it. I think one of the things that you really got to the core of, of why this movie works and why it was such a thrilling first watch is the escalation and building of not just tension, but the building of stakes getting higher and higher and the circumstances getting more dangerous. It mm. works phenomenally in this movie. And it's all on the beautifully sculpted back of Ashley Judd's performance. <laughs> and it's so, it's so patient. That's the thing that really like gets me is it's such like when she first gets out of prison and she makes the choice to go and break her parole like straight away, straight away, right? We're quite far into the movie by that point. Mm. And all that's happened is, well, not all that's happened. Like, oh, okay, her husband maybe gets murdered or disappears. She realizes that's lying, gets out of prison. So you, blah, 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 blah. But she hasn't started on the journey yet. And so by the point she's actually tracking this cunt down, it's like really quite deep into it. And the fact that they, like I really am obsessed and deeply enjoy process movies. Mm. I like being shown the step from A to B to C. It's why, you know, we love all the presidents, Spotlight, things like that, Collective, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. But when they show you that process of like going through it and taking the viewer with them in a way that's really generous and like, quite all-encompassing that's what I really dig and like when she goes to the school and she's like moving from one thing to one thing and even the bit where um she tricks the guy into helping her and then um <laughs> she's like I just got out of prison I and just he's got like, out of prison what? Murder. Murder. like oh I who wouldn't still go home with her you'd be like eh, mm. let's just like give it a crack let's you know I it, would let's let's roll the dice no I I, I want to tag on one thing that you just said there which is but the movie also does something that's great, which is it's not afraid to show her having setbacks. And I think her vulnerability is so different because you, I, I hate character imperviousness. I really want to see characters like toil. And there's that great moment where she's like, she's so fit. She runs away from those cops, but they catch her in the sand dunes. Cause obviously they're driving, driving a car, right? She can't outrun a car. Like she's not the Terminator. She's not like Robert Patrick from Terminator two. And you know, what's amazing um, is, that she has a setback 
but she's got this like determination that you're like, she's going to get through it. Like she's going to get out of this. She's going to figure out a way out of this. I think that's also what's really special about the movie is that it has a way of like seemingly never losing a single ounce of pace, but Mm. actually legitimately shows cool setbacks. And then you have to watch her sort of bite down and knuckle down and be like, all right, I'm going to get through this. And she does like, especially when Tommy Lee Jones goes, has the coffee and she's like hijacks his car. Like, you know, starts like breaking out of her handcuffs and all those cool things that are like, she, she, she toughs it out to get through it. Um, It's, it's just admire. It's admirable. Like the whole way through. And like plot wise, right. You know, this, the whole premise of this film, the name and the premise is based on a very specific sort of legal loophole. Mm. And like realistically, why would she be able to like she's super fit? That's one thing, but to be able to run away from a car like Robert Patrick, like that doesn't make sense. Why would she be able to? This isn't haywire. She's not a trained fucking spy. You see the things that she's picked up in prison. This is why prison's a fucking joke. And it like what rehabilitation? You just learn <laughs> how to be better at the illegal shit you're doing anyway. But she picks up skills in there and learns things and evolves and sets out her plan. But she's not a spy. She's not a CIA agent. She's not like a formal mixed martial artist. She's just really determined and learning things as quickly as she can to achieve what is like a very personal mission to her. As I said, Lex, right from the top, the only way that this release would be better is if this amazing woman was on the commentary track. But we have gifted you this, folks, of the Imprint Companion. You can turn Maria Lewis on. And you're going to get about 30 minutes of what would have been an outstanding commentary track. You can go back and follow her and find, I'm sure she'll uh, share with us again, her piece that she did for the 20th anniversary. Mm. Maria, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming on the imprint companion. Do you want to plug the living daylights out of yourself? Because we are just so grateful for your, uh, your wisdom and your expertise on this film as you are the number one fan of this movie. Number one, baby. Um, I was going to plug some film programs I've got coming up at Acme, but we're shut right now and fuck knows when we'll open. But if you like Australian neo-noir films, I've programmed a season called Yeah Noir, where we're playing a bunch of flicks, including The Hunter, Red Hill, Goldstone, The Square, including interviews with the filmmakers and people involved in those movies, like Willem Dafoe, who was so fucking nice, uh, as well as a season called Yeah, The Girls, which is looking at Australian perspectives on the traditional Hollywood rom-com. Ellie and Abby and Ellie's did aunt is playing as part of that, which was a really great, gorgeous, queer little rom-com that came out sort of in the middle of the pandemic last year. So if you missed a chance to see it on the big screen, this is it, as well as uh, Legally Blonde, which we're playing with uh, Tiziana Buberini. Which is um, which is filmed at my like local supermarket. So every time I like go in there, I'm always thinking of Tiziana Buberini and all the fucking beautiful numbers and shit. And there are always people in there who straight up look like they're in Tiziana mm-hmm. Buberini. And uh, my eighth book, Her Fierce Creatures, comes out in March 2022. If that's something you want to grab, I was like, is that right? And um, listen to Josie and the podcasts. She's a little limited audio doco that Blake and I did. And you can find me on social media. Just look up my name. That's about it. The best. And for folks who have followed Alexi and I onto screen drafts, you will notice that Maria has indeed programmed the number one film in the mm-hmm. 21st century Australia, according to the two GMs at that uh, on that show, which is Alexi and I, Goldstone, big fan. Uh, and wish that this thing freaking end so that I can go to the cinema and watch Goldstone again. Lex, where can people find your good self when we are not talking about the physical media? 
you can head on over to Total Reboot, the podcast I do with Cameron James. We are currently doing a big mini-series all about the icons of the theme of Man vs. Machine. Uh, we are kicking things off with The Terminator with special guest Mr. Sunday Movies. We're doing 2001 A Space Odyssey and Robocop amongst many other great icons only with this miniseries we've decided. <laughs> icons only. Can I lift the veil for one moment? Um, I ha- I sent Lexia like a voice mess, a bunch of voice memos, as is yep. my preferred mode of uh, communication. It always voice <laughs> and, memos off the And call. never two. Never two. Always, never two. always eight. And Can like, I also <laughs> say the other thing? Now that it's just the three of us in here, they always, always begin with, uh, yeah, just so, so I just send a voice moment instead because, you know, I got fat fingers, can't be bothered typing. Yeah, Every single right. time, they always begin with the same thing. <laughs> because I always like, I, now I feel, now that you've said that, I will stop doing that. But I truly, like, every time I send them, I'm like, they're a nice little friendship podcast yeah, for me. But it's also them. been truly the best way to stay in touch with people in different time zones because yeah. you don't know if that person's up or whatever and they can just send it fuck off and then there's a new message for you but i I'd sent lexi um some voice memos the other day and he goes oh i was about to send you one back but i'm watching space odyssey and the apes <laughs> just went nuts <laughs> <laughs> i was about to reply and then it's like the apes start screaming at each other go oh maybe i'll wait and just do it do it later it would have been such a good voice memo if you're like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And in the background, it's just like, wee, wee, wee. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.